And tonight we're going to be looking at Romans uh, 3, 24 through 26. So if you would read that with me and then we'll, we'll pray together. So verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you're here with us. We thank you that you love us. Thank you that you sent your son to be the propitiation for our sins. And Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would grab our hearts, no matter what kind of day that we've had, good or bad, or if we're we're tired, that you would come and speak to us through the power of your word. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. In my time here pastoring at, at RMC, I've known uh, two in our church that have gotten heart transplants. And it's always blown me away, that uh, process. It's a, it's a huge deal, as you can imagine. The surgery takes place uh, up in Denver after you receive uh, your new heart. You're in the hospital for quite a bit of time. It's a long time before you're able to come home. But what's so sobering about it is someone passes away in order for you to receive this new heart. And, and both individuals were in a place where without receiving the heart transplant, they would pass away. And their health was getting worse and worse and worse. And they get that phone call, go up to Denver, get the heart transplant, begin this road to recovery, and literally a second chance on life through a new heart uh, that was given. I think that you would admit that's an incredible price to pay. You know, someone's lost their life so that someone else could live. Someone chose to be an organ donor. And what we find in our text tonight is the price that Jesus paid to be the propitiation for our sins. And believe it or not, we're going to spend the whole Bible study on one word tonight. We're primarily going to look at propitiation. So if you can't pronounce it, neither can I. So we'll be in it together. But this word is so pregnant with meaning, it touches our hearts and reveals to us the deep sacrifice that Christ has given to us. Before we jump into this meaning of the word propitiation, let's get a quick overview for the book of Romans. The book of Romans divides itself up into two sections. The first 11 chapters is the doctrine of grace. And as we believe and the grace that's revealed through Jesus Christ, we're justified, we're redeemed, we're, we're saved, we're, we're forgiven. Then chapter 12 to chapter 16, there's a shift, there's a change that takes place. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would present yourself as a living sacrifice. By his mercies. By the mercy of God, it moves us to respond to the grace of God. So we go from doctrine to duty. We go from belief to behavior. If you've been studying with us through the book of Romans, you know that Paul is really laying this out as a very systematic lawyer, showing us that we're all sinners and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 1 is written to the person that's an atheist, the person that's denied the existence of God. 
even with creation being right in front of them, saying, I don't believe that there is, is a God. And God says you're held accountable. Then chapter 2 deals with the critical moralist, the religious person. Because they're a good person, not seeing their need for Jesus to die upon the cross. And through chapter 2 and chapter 3, Paul shows the Jew, the Hebrew, the religious person, why they need Jesus as their Savior. Then we get into this gem of the gospel. We go from the black drop of our depravity to the gem of the gospel. And we'll be studying these verses this weekend uh, as well. But we dig into this term, this truth of propitiation. So first, let's define propitiation. Like what in the world does propitiation mean? This is just one of those words that we're not going to use in our everyday vernacular, right? So, so what does it mean? It actually means to appease the wrath of. It's God's just requirement for sin being met. So we're guilty before God. All mouths are stopped. There's the evidence that's against us. We have no leg to stand on before a holy God. But yet God chooses to pay the price for our sin and his wrath to be appeased. So so it literally means to appease the wrath of. And the idea of the word propitiation also is rooted in mercy. In mercy. And specifically, it's the place in which propitiation takes place. Now, this is mind-blowing to me, and I hope I can articulate it and you can grasp it. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew. The New Testament is written in Greek. The Greek word that we translate into propitiation is also used in the Old Testament, the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. So, The Greek translation of the Old Testament is called the Septuagint. And this same Greek word that's used right here, that in the New Testament we translate to propitiation, in the Old Testament it's translated mercy seat. And if you look up this word in the Greek and the definitions that come up, one of the definitions is the place of the mercy seat. And this unlocks for us the meaning of propitiation And it takes us back to Exodus chapter 25, where God lays out the tabernacle, where he meets with the children of Israel. The most important piece of the tabernacle is the Ark of the Covenant. On top of the Ark of the Covenant is a lid with the mercy seat. And that mercy seat then has two angels at the top and the bottom with their wings coming forward. So God's presence resides in the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant is. The high priest could only come in one day a year, the Day of Atonement, one man, one day a year, for the sacrifice of the sins of the children of Israel and would sprinkle the blood upon the mercy seat. And there in Exodus chapter 25, God says, I'm going to meet with you at the mercy seat. So through the Old Testament sacrificial system, God is providing propitiation for sin. Now, it's not an adequate sacrifice. It's just enough to to cover sin, but not remove sin. But God is laying this foundation of saying, it's through my mercy that I'm going to meet with you. It's through my mercy that I'm going to pay the price for your sin. So I've got a picture of the mercy seat. We're going to throw this up here. 
If we can grab that picture real quick. So here's the mercy seat. Here's a depiction of what the Ark of the Covenant looked like, and then the top being the mercy seat. Now stay tuned, because in John's gospel, when Mary Magdalene comes to the empty tomb, what does she find? She finds two angels, one at the head and one at the foot, representing the mercy seat. The death and resurrection of Christ points to the fulfillment of the mercy seat, points to the fulfillment of Jesus being our propitiation. So God gives us this great picture in the Old Testament through the mercy seat of Jesus appeasing the wrath of. So we can pull that slide down. So quick review, quick review here. What is propitiation to appease the wrath of? What does the word propitiation mean? One of the translation is mercy seat or the place of the mercy seat, which takes us back to Exodus 25, where God says, I'm going to meet with you through his mercy. Clear as mud? All right. Well, let's jump, jump into it a little bit more now that we've looked at the, the definition of propitiation. Is first, if you're taking notes, you can write it down. Number one, propitiation is an expression of God's grace. So I saw that up a minute ago. Now we can, there we go. Propitiation is an expression of God's grace. Look at the text with me. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We'll cover those in detail on Sunday. Justification, uh, redemption. But we're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God set forth as propitiation by his blood. For the wrath of God to be appeased, for propitiation to exist in our lives, it's an expression of God's grace. What's grace? It's unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. As we've been tracking through the book of Romans, this should set in at a deeper level. When you read Romans 1, when you read Romans 2, when you read Romans 3, if you didn't feel like a wretch prior to that, It's like, man, I I am a broken sinner before a holy God, and I deserve death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death, being eternally separated from God. But instead of God giving me eternal separation from him, he's given me eternal life because Jesus, in his grace, has paid the price, the ultimate price with his blood, in order for me to be saved. In, more, in order for me to be an object of God's grace instead of God's wrath. And here in Romans 3, it tells us that justified freely by his grace. This is a free gift that God gives, and he delights in doing so. So the only way that God's wrath could be appeased is through God's grace, his kindness. This is something that we see of God throughout the scriptures, Who do you believe God to be? Hopefully that's being defined through the scriptures. And God says of his character that he's gracious, that he's merciful, that he's slow to anger, that he's long-suffering, right? And he's proven it by giving Jesus to die upon the cross in his grace, that unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. There's nothing in us that deserves this This is an object of God's grace. 
The second thing we see about propitiation from our text is whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. Propitiation is the plan of God. This is God's plan that he had before all time. In Revelation, it says that Christ was slain before the foundations of the world. What does that mean? Before God created the world, it was already determined that Christ would be slain. Before God created Adam and Eve, before Adam and Eve sinned, the father had already decided that he was going to send the son. He knew exactly what Adam and Eve would do. He knew the consequence of sin and sin would separate us from God. And Jesus was willing. Jesus surrendered to the plan of the father in eternity past before the world was ever created. It was leading up to the point of propitiation where Jesus would die upon the cross for us. And we find this throughout scripture, throughout the Old Testament. The Old Testament is pointing to the sacrifice of Christ, where Christ would die upon the cross to take the punishment from the Father. We mentioned these Old Testament sacrifices. Every time the blood of the animals were shed for sin, it pointed to the need for a perfect sacrifice for Christ to die. In verse 21 of Romans 3, it says this, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So all the way through the law and the prophets, God is revealing this plan of propitiation, revealing this plan that Jesus would come and die for our sins and rise again. We see it in Scripture clearly in Psalms 22, an amazing prophetic psalm of the crucifixion of Christ. Isaiah 53 as well, long before crucifixion even existed. Psalm 16 prophesies the resurrection of Christ. In Jeremiah and Isaiah, we see prophecies of the new covenant, God's new contract that he would give to us. So for Jesus to come on the cross die for our sins and rise again, taking the punishment of the Father was always the plan of God. So we unpack this a little bit deeper and we think through the Garden of Gethsemane and Christ is praying all night in the Garden of Gethsemane, wanting the disciples to stay and pray with him in his hour of need, but the disciples sleep instead. Jesus is praying so intensely that he sweat blood. The gospel of Luke uh, tells us that. His his sweat turns to, to blood. And he's asking of the Father, he's saying, my God, my God, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus is looking to those moments ahead when propitiation is gonna take place. Where he who knew no sin became sin for us, was punished by the Father so that we could be forgiven. So we could be the object of God's grace instead of the object of God's God's wrath. The most intense moment of Christ's crucifixion, he cries out and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only time the fellowship between the Father and the Son is broken And I believe that's really what broke the heart of Jesus and why he cried out and said, if there's any other way possible, let this cup 
pass from me. It's so offensive to believe that there can be salvation apart from the finished work of Christ because Christ was asking for another way. Christ was saying, if there's any other way that these knuckleheads can be saved, <laughs> well, let's go with that plan. But there was no other way. This is the way. This was the plan. This is what God set in motion even before the foundations of the world. As you read the Old Testament, Understand the message. Understand what it is pointing to. And this blows us away about the love of God. That that God would put this plan in motion. If you look closely in our text here, it says, whom God set forth. God set this plan forth of propitiation. The emphasis of the Father when it comes to the Son is this is my beloved Son. Two times the Father speaks audibly from heaven that's recorded in the Gospels, where you could hear his voice. In those two recordings, don't you wonder what the voice of the Father sounds like? He said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my boy right here. I want you to realize this gift that I am giving for you, this tremendous plan of salvation. Only God in his goodness could come up with this plan. Amen? That he would send his son for sinners. Propitiation is the plan of God. The third thing about propitiation is propitiation is accomplished through the blood of Jesus. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. The only way that the wrath of God, the righteous judgment of God could be appeased was for Christ to be killed and for his blood to be shed. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us, according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So in the temple, in the tabernacle, in the Old Testament, for things to be purified, it required the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. 1 Peter 1, verse 18, these are powerful verses. It says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundations of the world, but was manifest in these last times. You weren't purchased with gold. You weren't purchased with silver. You weren't purchased with dollar bills. You for sure were not purchased with rubles. (laughs) You were purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 20 says, for you were bought with a price. You were bought with a price. Propitiation took place because of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus being sacrificed for our sins. I know this is elementary, this next point that I'm going to mention, but it's worth thinking through. With the sacrificial system, it was a substitutionary sacrifice. I've sinned. This lamb is going to be killed. This lamb has done nothing wrong. It's innocent. I'm the one who's done wrong, but this lamb is losing its life because of the sin that I have committed. Passover was celebrated yearly by Israel. Many 
Jews still celebrate Passover. The first Passover was when the Israelites were in bondage in Egypt. The last plague upon Pharaoh, God says, each family was to kill a lamb, take the blood of the lamb and put it on their doorpost. An angel passes over and everyone who didn't put blood on their doorpost, their oldest male uh, was killed. And that took place for Pharaoh. He didn't put blood on his door, lost his oldest. And he says, okay, I'm done. I surrender and let the Israelites go. Well, imagine you're a kid and dad says, okay, we're going to have to go kill this lamb. And you put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And you're like, what is this? Some kind of horror movie? Like, and the kids are like, what, what's, what's taking place here? This, this lamb didn't do anything wrong. And begin to express, well, before God, we're guilty. Before God, we're, we're sinners. And this, this represents that our sin is serious before God and our sin deserves death. And God's willing to, to pass over our sin because of the sacrifice of, of this, this lamb. Well, obviously, the, the blood of the lamb is not enough to purge us, to cleanse us of our sins. We need the perfect sacrifice of Jesus by his blood. And Jesus is in, innocent. Jesus is the substitutionary sacrifice. We deserve to die, but instead he died upon the cross and his blood was shed. Blood coming out of his head from the crown of thorns. Blood coming out of his hands from the nails and his feet. Blood coming from his back and his body as he was whipped for us. And by his stripes we were healed. When Jesus met with the disciples right before his crucifixion at the Last Supper, he said, do this in remembrance of me, my body that was broken. My body that was broken and my blood that was shed. And this blood is the blood of the new covenant. By his blood, this is the new contract that we have with God. How do we know that we know that we know that the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from our sins because it's the depth of the power of the sacrifice of Christ? How do we know that we know that we know that we're forgiven? Well, the depth of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ by his blood, propitiation. How do you know that God's not mad at you? We really struggle with that. I'm sure some of you are convinced, you know, I know God says that he loves me, but deep down I think that he hates me. I think he's just waiting to fry my face off. You know, I didn't read my Bible like I should. I, I struggled in, in these areas. And we're failing to realize how powerful the sacrifice of Jesus is. We're forgiven. We're the children of God because of our faith in the blood of Jesus. And when I fail to receive the grace of God, I'm failing to understand how deep and rich and how valuable the blood of Jesus really is. Because when I'm looking at the pure spotless lamb, I'm able to go, I know I'm forgiven, not because I deserve it, but because Christ is the worthy sacrifice. It really doesn't have to do with me. It doesn't have to do with you. It has to do with Jesus, that he's that sacrifice for our sins that results in forgiveness, that results in God's wrath being appeased. Fourth point about propitiation is 
propitiation is only received through faith. We find in our text, as we read together, propitiation by his blood through faith. Through faith. The only way that God can have favor upon us is for us to trust in the finished work of, of Jesus Christ. And Romans 1, 2, and 3 lay this foundation very thoroughly. We can't even begin to approach God on our works or think that God's going to be pleased with us with, with our works. Isaiah tells us that our works are like filthy rags before the Lord. So apart from Christ, if I'm coming before the Lord and saying, hey, I'm a, I'm a good person, forgive me, there's no way that I'm going to be forgiven. The only way that we can be forgiven, the only way that propitiation can take place in our lives, in our account, is through faith. Salvation comes through faith in the finished work of, of the cross, to believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's just ponder this. Let's just meditate upon this for, for a moment. To, to really let this sink in through the power of the Holy Spirit. Is we cannot please God based on our works. What pleases God is our faith in his son. It is done. It is finished. Jesus hung from the cross and declared, Te telestai. It is finished. Paid in, paid in full. And you might be saying, well, Eric, well, what's the point of good works? Good works are a response to what Christ has done for us. It's a response to this free gift of salvation that we've received. Imagine the kind of things that you would think through and pray through if, if you received someone else's heart to stay alive and had the opportunity to meet the family of, of that donor. I'm sure you would have some thoughts of, Man, I want to honor this person that gave me their heart so that I could live. And for us, when we understand the grace of God, we go, I want to respond to that grace. I want to respond to this unconditional love that God has given to me. But make no mistake, it's through faith. It's through faith alone and Christ alone that the work of salvation is completed in our lives. It's, it's through faith. One more point here on a propitiation. Propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Number five, propitiation demonstrates his righteousness. It demonstrates his righteousness. Where God is just and God is the justifier. In order for God to be righteous and for God to be just, he has to hold sin accountable. He's the ultimate authority. If you had a family member that was murdered you would cry out for justice. You would cry out for righteousness in that area from the judge or, or from the jury. If all of the evidence was laid out before the judge, before the jury, and they said, you know, 
man, punishing murder just seems to be so archaic. Who does that anymore? And the prison system doesn't change people's lives. I'm feeling gracious today. I'm feeling kind today. So yes, you're guilty of murder. Ask the family member you've, you've lost a loved one, a spouse, a son or, or daughter. But this murderer is going to go free in the name of, of grace. You would cry foul. You would say not so. That is not just. That is not righteousness. There, there's something wrong with that scenario. Someone who's been the victim of sexual abuse, it just breaks my heart. The person is brought to court and brought to justice and there's all this evidence of, of sexual abuse and the person in authority is like, no, we're, we're just, we're just going to let that go. We're going we're gonna to let that, that slide. Foul. No, there needs to be righteousness. There needs to be justice. And, and God throughout scripture says that he's righteous and that he's just and vengeance belongs to him. So, so how can God be just, but also be the justifier? Now, the word justifier means to declare righteous or to set someone free. So we have all of these guilty sinners, you and me, standing before a holy God in his courtroom. All the evidence for our sin is, is laid out. And God says, Eric Cartier is forgiven forgiven. Joe, forgiven. Why can God, Donna, forgiven? Why can he declare that forgiveness while still being just? Because of propitiation, because of the blood of Jesus. He can say, Eric is forgiven because my son, my only begotten son, went to the cross took all of Eric's sin upon himself, died, buried, and was rose again, according to the scripture. Eric believes in that finished work of Calvary. So based upon the blood of Jesus, based upon the sacrifice of Jesus, Eric is forgiven. God met the just requirement for sin at the cross. That's propitiation. And so propitiation demonstrates his righteousness. I think this is really important for us to understand and meditate upon in all angles. God's forgiveness and his grace is not boys will be boys and girls will be girls. I feel like being kind and benevolent so you get away with it. I'm just going to kind of pretend that I didn't see that and you are forgiven. No, God's saying you're guilty. Yes, you're actually a sinner and you you deserve death and eternal separation from me. But I love you in your sinful state and I sent my son to die for you and rise again. And based upon your faith in Christ, you're now robed in Christ's righteousness. All of your sins are nailed to the cross with Christ. They're buried with Christ and you're risen in newness of life. So I'm paying the price for sin. I'm not just ignoring it. When Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, he's the way because 
of the finished work of Calvary on the cross. Therefore, when we forgive others, we're forgiving them on the merit of the blood of Jesus. We're not forgiving them on the merit of whether they deserve it or not. If you're waiting to forgive somebody because they deserve it, you're waiting for a really long time. God doesn't forgive us because we deserve it. He forgives us because of our faith in Jesus Christ and the finished work of Christ. Ephesians 4.32, such a challenging but good verse, says, Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So the reason the Father forgives me is because of Christ. So the reason I forgive someone else is because of Christ. Propitiation, it demonstrates his righteousness that God can be just and the justifier. At the cross of Jesus Christ, we have grace and mercy. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy is God withholding the judgment we do deserve. We have grace and mercy embracing justice. Justice, grace, and mercy kiss at the cross. Where God's justice is met, Christ is actually punished for for our sins, but also grace and mercy is expressed to where God is just and he's also the justifier. So let's try to wrap this all up and make application in our lives. We'll get here in a few more weeks, but Romans 8.1 says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What's the number one tool of the enemy? We know from Revelations 12 that he's the accuser of the brethren day and night. So he loves to come before you, come before me, come before the throne room of the Father and accuse us with our sin. Well, God doesn't really forgive you. I mean, look at you. You're you're lousy. You go to church and you sing these songs and you believe in Jesus, but then you continue to do the same thing over and over again. You think God's going to continue to forgive you for for your sins? I mean, how many times is he going to forgive you for, for the same thing over and, and over and over again? Maybe you really don't believe. Maybe you're not really the child of God. Sound familiar? Some of the darkest thoughts that we struggle with happen right in church, don't they? Because the enemy knows that we're worshiping and we're trying to press into the, to the things of God. And before you know it, we start looking around and we think, man, everybody's judging me and everybody's looking down at me and I don't belong here and all of those type, types of things. And in Revelation 12, it tells us that they overcame the enemy, his accusations through the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and not loving their lives unto death. They held on to the blood of Jesus. Are you walking through guilt and shame? Would you say guilt and shame is what labels your Christian experience? I'm just a lousy Christian. I keep trying to get over this one particular sin and I can never quite do it. 
I don't share my faith like I should. I don't know my Bible like I should. And, uh, and you're just wearing guilt and shame. You're, you're well, wearing condemnation. And it's hard for you to believe that you're actually the object of God's love and God's favor. That God's righteous anger has been appeased. That he's not mad at you. That he's not looking to, to judge you. Because of what Christ has, has done for us. And allowing the finished work of Christ to hit our hearts and our lives. And this big Bible word, propitiation, to set us free to understand the depth of Christ's sacrifice, the mercy seat from, from the Old Testament. The blood of, of Jesus has been shed upon the mercy seat. What's really cool about the tabernacle is... The earthly tabernacle was the shadow of the throne room of God. It's picturing the throne room of God. And Jesus actually goes before the Father and says, He's mine. She's mine. I paid the price for them. I bought them with a price. They, they believe in me. Their sins are forgiven. So where forgiveness to God's glory. I'm forgiven to God's glory. I get to walk through this life not in condemnation because of the sacrifice of Jesus. We're going to take communion together. We're going to celebrate communion together. One of the things that I love about communion is you have to lift your head to take communion. And the Psalms tell us that, that God is the lifter of our head. And tonight, he wants to lift our head off of our sin and our shame to the cross of Calvary to be reminded of the blood of Jesus that sets us free. The blood of Jesus that justifies us, that redeems us, that causes us to not be objects of God's wrath, but objects of his affection and, and forgiveness. So don't you dare go out of here condemned, right? Don't you dare leave tonight going, man, I don't know if God loves me. I don't know if I do enough. I, I don't know if I'm a, I'm a good Christian. No, da, 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 da. no, you go out here tonight, you're saying, I am forgiven in Jesus' name. The blood of Jesus has set me free from my sin and I am bought with a price and I get to love the Lord. I get to respond to that grace and that forgiveness. So let's stand together and let's pray and move into communion. Father, we thank you for loving us enough to, to send your son. We don't understand why. We see our sin and the sins of others, and your, your love is amazing. And Jesus, that you would surrender your life under the Father, that you would love us enough to go to the cross for us. Holy Spirit, would you help us, even as we take communion, to understand the height, the depth, the width of your sacrifice? Would you lift up off of us that guilt, that condemnation, that shame, and that we would wear the robes of forgiveness to your glory, to boast in, in your great name. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If